0: Chapter Seven of The Last Rebel by Joseph A. Altchuler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: Besiegers and Besieged. The doctor compelled to return. I took the flag and advanced with it, but the colonel hated a Yankee spy as much as a traitor and warned me off in short order. We gave the flag to one of the soldiers, whom the colonel allowed to approach a little closer. They held a brief dialogue, and then our messenger came back to us, announcing that the colonel regarded all his men as traitors or deserters, and would parley no further with them. They might besiege him if they would, but he meant to take a last stand for the Confederacy. "'Was he well?' I asked the man. I didn't see him at all, he replied, for he talked through a chink in the wall, but his voice was mighty high and had a crack in it. This confirmed me in my belief that privation and excitement had mastered the colonel. Nevertheless, we must sit down to a siege of the last rebel. We arranged our forces in such manner as he could not leave the hut and escape unseen into the further mountains we waited an hour. Then, as the colonel in his castle made no sign, I and a soldier went back for Grace. We found her in the hut, waiting impatiently to hear from us, and she did not show much surprise when I told her that her father had fortified himself against us. She came at once with us, and we sent her to the colonel's castle. She returned in a quarter of an hour, much cast down, and told us he was in a fever with wild eyes and flushed face. He refused to come out, and nothing she said could move him. He even spoke harsh words to her, saying she had joined his enemies. We sent her back with a couple of blankets and some provisions, and then she returned to us again. The colonel would allow no second person in his defensive works. It looked like a long siege, and we prepared for it. We soon found Crothers and his party, and we built another shack in the woods, bringing from it the furs and other useful articles in the hut. It was well that we did the work quickly, for Grace fell quite ill with hardships and excitement, and soon was in a fever and talking a bit wildly we put her in the shack on a bed of furs and dr ambrose who did not have the title of doctor in vain attended her and said she would be all right in a day or so but her illness was a misfortune for she was the only one who could be considered a strict neutral and could carry messages between our little army and the colonel We were sufficient in number to form a picket around Fort Hetherill, for so I named the Colonel's shack, but we were very careful not to come within range of its defender's rifle. One of the men, a good fellow named Kimball, went a little closer than the rest of us, and the prompt discharge of the rifle from Fort Hetherill showed that the Colonel was watching. The bullet skipped across the ice, fifty feet short of its mark. Kimball moved farther away. Having posted the men, I made a round and cautioned each to watch faithfully, but the caution was scarcely necessary. Every man there was under heavy obligations to the colonel for something or other, and all meant to take him alive. It was cold work there on the ice, but we had brought provisions with us and that supply, coupled with what was stored in the hut, prepared us amply for a siege in form. We made some coffee and served it to the men on picket duty, following it up a little later with a nip of whiskey for each, and they felt quite warm and comfortable. The colonel, after his rifle shot, rested on his arms and maybe looked to his defenses. The piece of old stovepipe which projected through the roof began to smoke, showing that he had firewood, and that he too was able to keep warm. It looked like a long siege. The general commanding, who was myself, and Crothers, the second in command, held a council of war and decided to postpone operations until nightfall, when Crothers thought he would be able, under cover of the darkness... TO STEAL UPON THE COLONEL AND TAKE HIM. THEN WE WAITED FOR THE SLOW AFTERNOON TO LIMP AWAY. THE SUN WAS OF A DAZZLING BRIGHTNESS, BUT THERE WAS NO WARMTH IN IT. THE ICE-FIELDS GLITTERED UNDER THE RAYS, BUT DID NOT MELT. THE LIGHT WAS REFLECTED, AND WITH HALF-SHUT EYES WE WATCHED THE PEAKS AND THE COATED TREES. Sometimes, faint blue, purple, and green tints showed through the white glare. "'Cruthers,' said I, "'if I ever go on another winter campaign like this, "'I will not forget a pair of green goggles, largest size.' "'I wish I had them now,' said Cruthers. "'The glow on the ice-fields turned to gold "'as the sun began to set behind the highest peak.' from gold shifted to a blood-red, and as the sun went out of sight, faded and left the pale green of a wan twilight. "'These sheets of ice are in our way in more ways than one,' said Crothers. "'They light up the night so much "'that I could put a bullet in a silver quarter at twenty paces.' "'Do you think the colonel could do as well?' I asked, somewhat anxiously." "'we thought it well to wait until past midnight "'when the night would be darkest. "'So we served supper and hot coffee, "'relieved the pickets, and waited. "'The colonel in his fortress seemed to be content. "'At least he gave no sign. "'Dr. Ambrose reported that Miss Hetherill was much better "'and would be on her feet again in the morning. "'The night limped as painfully as the day,' and had the added demerit of being colder. A wind came down from the northeast, and there was a raw, sharp edge to it. I shivered, and my bones creaked with cold inside the heavy overcoat Crothers had given me. May the good Lord deliver me from any more winter campaigns. The moon, pale and icy, rose, and its chilly rays were reflected from the more chilly ice. Pieces of ice blown from the crusted boughs rattled dryly as they fell. As Crothers had foretold, the white glare of the earth lighted up the night until objects were almost as distinct as by daylight. The outlines of Fort Hetherill were clear. I could even trace the ridges and the bark. Any of us advancing would make a most beautiful target, and we stuck to our determination to wait for further darkness. The column of smoke from the colonel's hut increased, as if he, too, felt the growing cold and would ward it off. Midnight came, and shortly afterward the heavens began to darken. The outlines of Fort Hetherill grew dimmer i could no longer trace the ridges in the bark then the hut itself became an indistinct mass seeming to wave in the wind which still came down from the mountain tops and presented bayonet points to us the time seemed favorable for an advance upon the enemy's fortifications our plan was very simple we formed a circle around the hut, intending to contract this circle until we reached the house itself, when we would rush in and seize the garrison. The difficult part of it was to steal up so silently that the garrison would not hear us coming. To do it, we would be compelled to creep along, taking advantage of every elevation that would shelter us. Crothers and I started from adjacent points in the little wood and set out upon our hazardous advance. The ground was broken and rough, and I soon lost sight of him, but despite his efforts to be noiseless, I could hear his heavy-soled boots scraping over the ice, and his breath puffy like that of a man who was working hard. I dare say I was interrupting the atmosphere in a similar manner— but then i was criticizing crothers not myself i got along pretty well and was halfway to fort hetherill i ceased to hear crothers for two or three minutes and then i heard